Hello and welcome to Dragon's Demise, a podcast about what happens on, around, and behind the tabletop. Today, I'm joined by Greg. Hey there. And we will be talking about the games that you can play with non-gamers or people who are much more used to the traditional games. So it's the kind of thing where if you like game A, like Checkers or Bridge or Rummy or something like that, you will like these other games. So we're trying to like you know associate them that way and... I think it really helps get people to actually try something if they're like, oh, it's similar to this other game that I already know. Right, exactly. And here on Christmas Eve, we're sort of expecting that you're hanging out with family members who Mm -hmm. may be uh, non-gamers, they may be older, they may have a different frame of reference for what a board game or a card game is. So we're going to try to give you some some comparisons, some leverage to use in uh, convincing them to play some of your favorite games. Yeah, and of course... Happy Christmas Eve to everyone who actually celebrates that. Otherwise, I'm honestly not sure how all the other holidays line up right now. So, a bit ignorant on that side. I apologize. Happy holiday season. Yes, happy holiday season to everyone. So, before we start, let's go ahead and jump in and talk a little bit about what we've been playing. Yeah, so we've uh, we've had a chance to sit down and play some really fun games mm-hmm. lately. I'm going to start off with my personal favorite, which is yeah. Deep Sea Adventure. Yes, which is just <laughs> total chaos. Oh, it's amazing. Uh, it's so it's a game from Oink Games, a Japanese publisher. Uh, they produce literally physically very small games. Yes. They come in tiny boxes. And in Deep Sea Adventure, up to six players are divers mm-hmm. on a submarine, and you're trying to recover the most points worth of ruins. The deeper you dive, the more valuable the ruins are. Mm -hmm. But at the end of a round, you have to have made it back to the submarine. And the more ruins you're carrying, one, the less distance you can travel on any given turn. Yep. And two, the more air you're consuming from the submarine's supply. So you run into situations where you get overconfident because you're like, oh, I'm still fine. I'm only drawing one or two air per turn. Then you pick up more treasure and suddenly you're further away from the submarine. You're taking more air per turn. You didn't think about how that's compounding with what everybody else is doing. And also you're moving less. Yeah, it's 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 completely ridiculous. Our first game ended zero to zero. Yes. Because we, every single round, invariably, we didn't make it back to the sub. And then our second game... We retooled our strategies, yep. and we were like, okay, we're going to be more cautious this time. We're not going to go super deep. We're not going to go for lots of things. First round of the second game, we still had a score of zero to zero. <laughs> Even when we were deliberately trying, it was so ridiculous. It took yeah. so much getting yeah, used yeah, yeah. to, and that was just the two of us. Like, yeah. frankly, I can't even imagine what it's going to be like with six players. Oh, yeah, it's going to be total craziness it's just gonna be you know going down from the submarine and just like by the time you get down to wherever you want you uh, everyone else is just like already has so many different things that it's like oh no there's not enough enough, enough air for me to get close to being up yeah <laughs> but then like it's, it's really fun because there's also the strategy which i employed in that last game which is to you know fuck with someone pretty much by taking more treasure like when i was really close to the ship i just started taking more more relics mm-hmm. and like you know i should be relatively safe but that eats up more oxygen so that greg couldn't get back up yeah. onto the submarine yeah <laughs> so i would have uh if if the oxygen hadn't run out i was like one movement away basically yeah. one movement away from the submarine but the oxygen ran out if it hadn't i would have tied yeah and i would have won the tiebreaker because i was the only one with a level four treasure yeah but Jacob played it exactly right. He got exactly the right number of treasures while still banking it back to the submarine to be able to short the oxygen so much that I couldn't get back. So yep. 
it's uh it's very very goofy uh and i am definitely looking forward to playing it again Mm mm-hmm so that was a lot of fun. And then we played a game that I'd been looking forward to for a little while in between. Yeah. Yeah, that mm-hmm. was fun. Yeah, it's it's a very interesting game. I think that it might have some balance issues. Um, yeah, preliminary. Yeah, preliminary findings. We only played two rounds of it. It's a two-player game. Uh, the first round, of course, was just us getting used to how the game worked. Right. I think we actually did something wrong. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. multiple things wrong in that first game we played. So yeah. it's a lot of that feeling it out and sort of getting used to how things work. Yeah, learning how the game works. Yeah, that that's what we like to do before we review anything yeah. <laughs> here. So it's it's interesting. The game is pretty much Stranger Things, the board game. Right, very much so. So it's like you've got one person playing the creature who is trying to like you know terrify everyone and make them you know bring them over to the creature's like dimension kind of thing, and then eat them. Yeah, pretty much. And then you have the town, which is trying to stay sane and stay secure and stay alert, mm-hmm. pretty much. And the game has uh, two ways that either player can win. So you can win either by bringing three villagers or townspeople to the um, the fourth level of their like awareness kind of... Not awareness. Uh, their, safety. The safety, the safety track. track. Yeah, there we go. If it's on the creature's side, it's one thing. And if it's on the town side, it's the other thing. Right. Uh, And so if you get three villagers to that, you win. Mm -hmm. The other way, though, is with the awareness track. And this is a track that is your personal thing. That is like, you know, the town townsperson has, has one of them. And then the creature has one of them. And so whenever the, like, player token ends on... A townsperson who is who is not in between, and it actually has the token in their in the safety spot of your side. You are then able to pay energy in order to increase awareness. Right, and awareness has lots of really good uh, benefits. Obviously, mm-hmm. if it gets high enough, you just straight up win. Yeah. Um, but along the way, you also have uh, the opportunity once per round to use an awareness ability, mm-hmm. and those are cumulative. So you can only use once one per turn. But you have access to a pool of all of these different really useful abilities, whether that's uh, gaining energy or drawing cards or mm-hmm. um, being able to change the direction that the token is proceeding around the yeah. the board. So they're they're really useful to get high. The problem is that the energy cost to increase your awareness goes up the higher up the, the ladder you get. It's, it essentially yeah. costs energy equal to the level that you're moving into mm-hmm. from one to six. So it's... Uh, a big energy cost when you also have to factor in the fact that you're using energy to pay for your abilities if you want to use them yeah. and energy to um, sometimes disrupt what your opponent has going on. So it's an interesting balance. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly, I think objectively, if you look at the mechanics of playing a player yeah. independent of the competition, I think it's good. I think yeah. there's lots of like competing priorities. You're thinking about, okay, I need to save my own people while also disrupting what my opponent's trying to do mm-hmm. while also thinking about how to raise my awareness. And that's interesting. I think some of the balance issues come in. We noticed a trend where the the player who was controlling the town was pretty difficult to disrupt. Yeah. Um, yeah. Especially you're going for an awareness victory. Right. It, it's as the creature, you have opportunities to reduce the amount of energy that they have. Mm-hmm. But those are relatively uncommon, and then yeah. you only have one way in the entire game to actually legit just reduce your opponent's awareness. Yeah. And while that also holds true for the town, 
the town has a little bit more accessibility for that option yeah. because it's in their deck instead of in mm-hmm. the creatures out in the center. So and, and I think the biggest thing with that is that if you know when and if you get it back from your deck, you can then just play it and pay the cost. Mm-hmm. And it's going to happen. Right. Whereas if it's on one of the townspeople's cards as an ability, that is immediately a target for you know the the other side. Right. So exactly. Like, if that ever came up and I had anything like below the you know the terrified level, the level where it's locked pretty much. If I had anything below that on that card, that would be your main priority to try to keep me from being able to use that whenever it came up. Yeah. And then it would only come up one like one tenth of the time because it's only one out of the ten cards that are out. Right. So right. It, it's the kind of thing where it's like it seems like the creature is always on the defensive. Yeah. And yeah, it definitely felt that way. Yeah, in our games, it just, that's just what it felt like. It's just like whenever, whenever I was trying to do anything, it was just like it was just trying to hold my own against the uh, the town and the town player, and it, it never felt like I had any kind of control. Yeah, over anything. Yeah, but preliminary observations. I mean, I think I like it. I like the asymmetry. Yeah. I always, I always do um, mm-hmm. asymmetric games. I think we're definitely going to want to place them more, do some more testing, see how yeah. the balance holds up, and uh, we'll report back. And that one in between, that's one that we picked up at Origins from our friends at uh, Board, and Dice. Board and Dice Games. Yep. Eric um, mm-hmm. was super fun to hang out with, so yeah. shout out to him. Yeah, And also congratulations to you guys for your recent merger with uh, NSKN Games. Hey, there you yeah. go. Industry news for you there. Yep. But yeah, so we had fun playing that one. We also got to play another round of uh, Whistle Stop, yep. the, the sort of train route building but unconventional more yeah. like tile yeah, yeah. laying plus route building mm-hmm. uh train game that was uh, a lot of fun yeah. i went for a deliberately jank strategy yeah that uh, didn't it didn't pay off i'll just say that i'll leave it at that <laughs> i don't care to elaborate any further but jacob went for a more traditional strategy that did pay off <laughs> yeah. in spades <laughs> yeah i went i I just managed to build myself into the perfect location that I was just able to retire all five of my trains. And I think this has been the first time in any game Whistle Stop that I've played that anyone has retired every single one of their trains. Yeah, I can believe that. I mean, certainly in my personal experience, but I've only played two games. Yeah, it it is a victory condition, but I think it's one that is much more likely in a a fewer player game Mm -hmm. because then you, you, you have fewer trains. Right. Whereas, like, in a two-player game, you have a whole full five trains. So that takes a lot to actually get them all over to the other end of the board because you have to finish with the resources that you need mm-hmm. or, or else you lose points. Right, you lose points. So, yeah. yeah. Um, but that was fun. It's always it's an interesting game. I think it's it takes a while to set up. But once you yeah. get going, it's a very fast game uh, mm-hmm. and pretty, pretty quickly paced. So, uh, yeah, always happy to bring that one to table. Yeah, for sure. And that's a look at what we've been playing. All right. So as we mentioned at the top, uh, this holiday season, you may find yourself in the company of people who uh, don't often play contemporary board games, who aren't really familiar with hobby gaming as a, as a scene. Uh, but they do play classic board games, and they've enjoyed some of those. So we're going to try to relate some staples, some classics, mm-hmm to uh, their more, what we think is their contemporary iteration, and see if maybe you can uh, share those with your your friends and family. Exactly. These these games are almost like 
sometimes a step up from the these other games where it's just like you just add a few other mechanics and just make it into something a little bit different than just a roll and move per se right and this is actually a game that we just talked about in our what we've been playing deep sea adventures is a roll and move literally because what you do is you roll to move but the it, it has this really fun twist of just also along with that you know you have to collect some things along the way and you have to go you have to decide how far back you go and then how far up so i think it really really adds uh, a unique twist and something for you know if people people all know like you know rolling dice and moving and now you get to do something that's absolutely hilarious and just a lot of fun and still has that as the core gameplay mechanic Right. So when you're thinking about this and how to explain it, something like Candyland mm-hmm. Shoots and Ladders actually might be a great example yeah. because in that you're dealing with a lot of, you know, forward movement but also a lot of setbacks. But when you take a look at Deep Sea Adventure compared to Shoots and Ladders, you've just got a lot more agency. Yep. You're the one who's deciding I want to keep going versus I want to turn back. Mm-hmm. You're the one who's deciding I'm going to take this relic or I'm going to leave this here. So, you know, if you like some of the fundamental silliness, uh, a little bit of chance in terms of how much you move, uh, but with a little bit more uh, control and a lot more screwing your friends over, shall yes, we say. Yes, exactly. Then it uh, mm-hmm. it could be worth recommending Deep Sea Adventure. It, it almost might be closer to something like uh, a Trouble or a Sorry-esque thing with screwing yeah, your friends there you over. Go. Yeah, there you go. Something like that. Except, you, yeah, you do have a lot more agency, and you're screwing them over a little bit differently. Yeah. But, uh, but it's still very much in that type of feel. For sure. Another one that people I remember playing growing up is Mastermind. Super Mm -hmm. fun classic game where you've sort of got this two-player competition where one person is controlling the pattern in a board and the other person is trying to guess the pattern through a very structured form of guessing. So taking the puzzly guesswork elements of that and turning it into a cooperative game, we have something like Rising Five. So Rising 5 is a cooperative puzzle game where you're essentially trying to do exactly that. You're trying to solve uh, the puzzle, which at its core is a pattern. It's a a sequence of, I believe, constellations is right what they are. It's a sequence of constellations, and the game is guiding you through figuring out what that is. So definitely different feel here. It's not one versus one. It's, It's all versus the board. But if you're much more of a cerebral person, mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of similarity here. So if you like that, trying to figure out what the thing is, given some very interesting constraints, mm-hmm. you know, because that's really what it's all about. If you had free information and you had yeah. free inquiry, you'd just be like, oh, well, here we go. But Rising mm-hmm. 5, I think, really captures that limited information and limited means of accessing more information yeah. in such a way as to make a uh, a really compelling board game. Yeah, and especially because this is a good way to introduce your, uh, you know, family, friends, anyone to a cooperative game. Right. Because Rising Five is a cooperative game, so it's not like anyone is trying to keep anything away from you. Is you guys are all working together, so it's one of those that you can sit down and work together and discuss and and really try to show what it what that kind of game works like. Right. And I know for me personally, this is great. I'm going to put my parents on blast for a moment. I know when we play competitive games, they have a tendency to get a little, uh, little heated. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Ticket to Ride in mm-hmm. my household is uh, surprisingly cutthroat. So maybe mm-hmm. toning it back a little bit, turning it into a cooperative game instead could be could be a more comfortable place for some people. <laughs> yeah, and then so another one that 
I've heard can get really, really cutthroat from some of my friends is Domino's. Yeah. So I know that this is a big thing for a lot of people. And, you know, it's a classic. It's, you know, you're, you're, you're taking it out. You're putting everything, uh, like, you know, setting everything up. However, you know, matching the, the numbers and all that kind of stuff. And the creators of Lanterns pretty much took that idea. And instead of having a two-sided domino, you now have a four-sided domino. A four-sided, very gorgeous domino. I yeah, like exactly. And it's a really fun game. Pretty much just about, like, matching certain tiles to other tiles and getting more and more of these lanterns and then getting points for these sets Mm -hmm. and so it combines a set collecting type game with dominoes and i think that if you like that type of game and if you have people who like that that type of like you know spatial building of things and like matching everything uh that type of game lanterns is definitely a good one for you yeah absolutely it just sort of builds on itself you know you've got like you mentioned four sides to the tile instead of just two with dominoes um you've got sort of this additional compelling mechanic of the set collection of the colored lanterns and redeeming those for points so just kind of takes the core mechanic and adds a couple of layers adds something a little bit more interesting a little bit more dynamic yeah and uh goes from there so exactly another game uh which is very popular and uh very contentious at least among professional players is go yeah. Uh, so if you have friends, family who are really into Go, you might also look into Hive. So Hive is another game where you're trying to basically corner your opponent. Mm-hmm. It's a lot simpler than Go. It is still 1v1, but there's there's not infinite permutations, yeah, I should exactly, say. Exactly. Nobody's going to be te- nobody's going to be playing Alpha Hive, you know. Yeah. It's it's a it's a much more straightforward game, but there's also some really interesting things going on with the different types of pieces that you can be laying down, thinking a lot of the same ways in regard to spatial, how am I going to capture my opponent's queen while also defending my queen on this flank. Mm-hmm. Um, similar to go in terms of a very dynamic board, you know, there's no restraints on placing. It's just there's a tile that's placed down and then it builds out from there. So you can approach things from a lot of different angles of attack. A lot of similarities between those two games. If you've got friends who are into Go or even almost chess yeah. with some of the next higher order thinking about, mm-hmm. okay, thinking a couple steps ahead and positioning and looking yeah. down the line, Hive is another very good one to, uh, to check out. Oh, for out. sure. So speaking of chess, I'm going to segue that right into Checkers, another game on a checkerboard. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Checkers itself is is a game, you know, about getting rid of all of your opponent's pieces. But the main mechanic is, you know, moving on uh, the squares and the positioning aspect of it. Yeah, specific vectors. Yeah. And one of the games that we've played that we've multiple times compared to Checkers is Small Star Empires. Mm Mm-hmm. And this game is very much about that really strategic, just, you know, going down these straight lines and these vectors to just try to block your opponents off and get the most points and get the, the best places. And it has some very, very interesting restraints. And it, it's very similar to Checkers in that it is simple. Yeah. Like, you have a certain number of ships, and on your turn, you can move one as far as you can if, without getting blocked. Yep. And then when you land, you place one of your stations. That's it. That's the rules of the game. Yeah. It's it's really straightforward, really easy to learn. There's a couple of variants that I believe even come in the base box. Yep. But if you don't feel like dealing with those, you can just go back to the same old, just 
move, drop, move, drop. Mm-hmm. There's definitely some additional complexity with the stations. You've got your trading posts versus yes. your regular stations. You've got questions about which star systems it's most valuable to capture, you know, mm-hmm. binary, trinary systems, things like that. But at the core of it, mechanically, very simple, very checkers-esque. Yep, exactly. But, you know, board games are only one type of of classic game. A lot of people grew up playing card games as well. Mm -hmm. So taking some of those really common, familiar themes and putting them into a new game, new frame, one might look at Fantasy Realms. Uh, We've talked about this before on the the podcast. It's a set collection game. Mm -hmm. You're trying to take cards into your hand that synergize as best as possible, Mm -hmm. trying to maximize your points. Uh, and I can tell you from personal experience, this is a great thing to give to you know people who aren't really super into board games, but used to play card games. I remember mm-hmm. Christmases when I was five, six years old. My you know my aunts and uncles yeah. playing gin and things yeah. like that. Very similar to gin, rummy, exactly those types of games, those sort of set collection games where you're thinking about how cards interact with one another, thinking mm-hmm. about probabilities and maximizing things at the margins. So fantasy realms. Very, very fun, very easy, uh, and also has the advantage of having a high player count. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Uh, yeah, yeah. So super easy to get to the table if you've got a little bit. My family is very small, but if you've got a little bit of a bigger family, you can get everyone around the table. Decent fantasy realms. Exactly, exactly. And speaking of games that are similar to the classic card games, uh, there's one which I can't really tie to any one card game, Illimat. Yeah. Oh, and for sure. This one is, it has a few elements from a lot of different ones. It's got the set collection, so you're trying to collect the different cards, so you're trying to like match the pairs and things like that that are out on the on the table. But at the same time, you've got the added element of the actual Illimat in the center, which you're moving around, and, and that has uh, different segments where you can't harvest, you can't do this other action or this third action, all that. And you play this over rounds, collecting points, and you really only get points for not really, you know, all the cards that you have, but only the very specific ones or the number of cards that you have. So it really does feel like a, a classic card game, but with some very different and interesting rules. And even like the art and all that kind of stuff on it is made to feel that way. Yeah. And Illimat is one of, I think, the most fascinating and unique games that we're going to talk about today, because a lot of these other ones are just, they took a mechanic that is almost the same, or in some cases, exactly the same. Yeah. And they put it into a new game. They froofed it up a bit. They maybe put a new theme on it, but it's fundamentally the same mechanic. Illimat is interesting because I can't identify a specific mechanic that I think is like taken wholesale from another mm-hmm. game. But just the entire feel of it, sort of the texture of the game, Mm -hmm. is very reminiscent of a lot of classic card games. So mad props to the designers of Illimat for Mm -hmm. capturing that essence without necessarily going straight to the mechanics. And if you want to learn how to play Illimat, go ahead and check out our YouTube channel for our board game bistro on Illimat, where we will teach you how to play it. There you go. Shameless self-plug. Yes, exactly. So next we have, uh, well, poker. So there are a lot of different types and there are a lot of different games that that borrow from poker and from its ilk, pretty much. And one of them likes to combine the poker kind of like bluffing as well as a little bit of like deduction about like, you know, who is what and that kind of stuff. And that is the love letter. Mm -hmm. So this is a very, very simple game, plays up to four players. And you have most of the time in your hand just one card. And 
on your turn, you draw another card and you get to use the ability of one of those cards. And, and the game ends pretty much either when all but one person is out or when the cards run out. And right. when the cards run out, whoever has the highest numbered card wins. So, you know, you're trying to keep those higher numbered cards, but then if someone guesses your card using a different one, they can kick you out. Right. And, you know, you can lose. So, you know, if you're holding the highest number card and they see that you're like, you know, you keep picking up one card and putting that one and like playing that one and, and holding the, that one that you have uh, close, they might start guessing like this higher <laughs> card and all that kind of stuff. You got to be subtle. You got you to gotta hold your cards close to the table. Exactly. Exactly. We're talking- like mix them up a little bit, like make sure they can't track them, all that. And it's a really, really simple game and it's really quick. Each round takes less than 10 minutes. So it's that kind of thing where it's like boom, boom, boom. You're going similar to like the, the length and almost the complexity of like a blackjack kind of game. Right. Very fast paced. Mm-hmm. Though if you like poker, there's also another one that is very close based on poker which is tiny epic western true it's basically three card stud yeah it's like that's the mechanic at the core of the game the three guys stud plus i think some texas hold hold them in there yeah something like that yeah and it's just the it's really interesting uh and definitely check that one out as well uh another card game custom heroes this is a trick-taking game very similar in spirit to something like spades or bridge uh the difference here is that you are playing solo so you've just got cards that have values one through ten and you're playing those in sequence. So someone plays a one, you can follow that up with a, a two or a four. And if you played a four, someone else follows that up with a seven. And you're trying to win the stack because winning the stack gives you the opportunity to lead off the next time. Mm-hmm. And then once you are out of your cards, you sort of win the round. So actually yeah. very similar as well to Uno. Mm-hmm. A lot of similarities yeah. there. Uno or I think uh, BS is a really good one too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for anyone who knows BS, it's you know you're you're trying to you know get the right numbers. This one has a little bit less lying, but like you have instead uh, ways to augment your cards. Right, that's and where the custom part of the custom heroes comes. Exactly, in. you start you know adding them and like you know you had a ten and now you added like another six to it and you have a sixteen and all of a sudden like you know that's the highest card in the game or something like that. So it it can be really really cool and it really just adds that little bit of a spin on. The classic kind of like, you know, just, you know, you have two twos, I have two threes, you have two fours, and, you know, you keep going that way. Yeah, what did we end up, I think the last time we played Custom Heroes, one of us played a pair of 23s. Something like that. Something like that. It was pretty ridiculous. There you go. So that's another great reason to play Custom Heroes is it's a good introduction to some of the ridiculousness of contemporary board games. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It it really is, and I I like it. It it does a really good job of capturing that. Right, absolutely. Mm Mm-hmm. Last but not least, there is Charades, a game that everybody has probably played at least once. If not intentionally. Right. (laughs) Uh, Always good for a laugh. And building off of that sort of limited communication, I think the perfect game to introduce people to is Codenames. Yeah. You've got very specific rules about how you're allowed to communicate. You've got a team that is trying desperately to figure out what you're trying to tell them. Uh, You've got tons of, of really fun uh, flavor mm-hmm. and the words themselves are frequently very goofy you know obviously you're trying to think about ways to relate dog bowl and toilet paper or something yeah. you know and you're just racking your brain you're like oh my god what do i do so mm-hmm. uh if you if you or people you love 
really enjoy some of that creative thinking, yeah. forced <laughs> creative thinking yep. Yep. aspect of uh, charades, then I think Codenames is absolutely a great one. Another one that plays easily up to eight, uh, yeah. more if you're willing to have some sort of unwieldy team sizes, yeah. but very fun for groups mm-hmm. and really just a great game overall. And plus, you can also get this in... Well, a lot of different kinds of versions. So you can get Harry Potter, you could get Marvel, you could get pictures, you could get Deep Undercover, which is the adult version. There are a lot of versions of code names that you can get. And honestly, they're all pretty much combinable. You can can pretty much just like mix them all up if you want to or like, you know, have the different sets work together. And even the pictures and the regular words are also combinable, which is which is really cool. Right. Oh, and I was just going to say, pictures is a great option if Pictionary is more your speed. Uh, yeah. You know, if you enjoy sort of a visual medium, Codenames Pictures is is great for that. Exactly. Well, there you go. That is uh, a real quick, quick and dirty overview of some games that we think are great to introduce to people who are maybe more accustomed to playing classic board games, classic card games, but who you really want to connect with this holiday season and you want to introduce your hobbies to them exactly and i think that uh, this time of year it's great to actually be able to hang out with uh your family and sometimes that means that you're away from your gaming group so just these are some of the games that we think are really really great for this time of year when you're going out when you're hanging out with with your cousins your aunts your uncles people who don't normally play your, you know, Twilight Imperium 4s or uh, Scythes <laughs> or other things like that. You can still have a lot of fun with board games outside of that. Thank you, everyone, for joining us for this episode of Dragon's Demise. No streams this week. Obviously, it's the holidays and we are flung to the winds. We'll be back in 2019 with some more great streams for you on Wednesdays and Fridays. If you're in a giving mood this holiday season, do please consider heading over to our Patreon. Uh, We launched that recently, and we think we've got some really great rewards. Uh, Have a chance to have your name dropped at the end of every episode. Have a chance to get your name or a name that you come up with featured in one of our ongoing campaign games. And really just a way to to be a part of the, uh, the thunder, the thunder of dragons here at Dragon's Demise. So... With that in mind, we do want to give a quick shout out to our Greater Wyrm supporters. Uh, That is Sam, Carissa, Hunter, and Casey. So thank you all so much. Uh, We really appreciate you. And obviously, we're going to be singing your praises at the end of every episode, Greater Wyrms that you are. And if you have supported us since uh, pretty much the beginning of December... Your name is likely going to be sporadically sprinkled in because uh, our recording schedule has been a little bit crazy yeah. uh, in December. It's so all over the place. Yeah. So you, we, we definitely see you and we really appreciate you. But just we might have recorded this before you became a parent. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we do, we do really appreciate every dollar uh, given our way. So thank you guys very much for your support. And don't forget to join us next week for the Dragon's Demise 2018 Year in Review. Mm -hmm. Jacob, Leslie, and I are going to be sitting down. We're going to talk about where we've come from, where we're going, and generally just take a look at the state of the podcast. Exactly. We hope you join us for that next week. 